John chapter 17, verse 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe in me that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even though you, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you they, that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and they will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be seen in them, and that I myself may be in them. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. Well, it probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but in the gymnasium of uh, HMS Ganges, where I joined uh, the Navy as a young boy, remember I told you I was defending England for 15 years of my life? Well, when I was being trained for that, you get uh, 2,000 young boys go to HMS Ganges, and uh, the one thing that you, well, we used to call it Alcatraz. Uh, You were there for a year, it was absolute hell. And uh, the the physical training instructors of later, which later I became one, but the physical training instructors were absolute ratbags. And if you did anything wrong, it doesn't matter matter if your shoelace to your gym shoe was not tied properly, you'd get 50 press-ups, 25 press-ups, bang, just like that. And and they also implied that you didn't have a mother or a father, in so many words. You little what's-name they used to call you. Uh, But but I'll never forget them. But I'll never forget the gymnasium because... On the back wall of the gymnasium at HMS Ganges was written Rudyard Kipling, uh, Kipling's poem, If. Anybody ever heard of that poem, If? Well, it's written on the back wall, and I don't re- it's the first time I've ever seen uh, anything like that, but it was written there, and I can remember now even how it begins, and I, c- I can remember the theme. I can't remember some of the bits I'm going to quote to you, but I can remember the first line and the last line. It's a lot, very long poem. But anyway, it says, it, it says If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or be lied about and not deal in lies, 
or be hated and not give way to hating. And so it goes on and on and on it goes. And the message, the theme is, if you can be virtuous in all these things, when all the things around you are not virtuous, if you can be virtuous in those things, you'll be a true person. And here's the line, here's the line which I remember. If you can fulfill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it, and what's more, you'll be a... Anybody know? And what's more, you'll be a man, my son. I used to love that. I thought it was wonderful. And in many ways, uh, that's... You'll be a man, my son. If you can keep your head when everybody else hasn't kept their head, it's very important. If you don't, you'll be a man, my son. And in one sense, I think that's God's word to the church today. I don't know whether Rudyard Kipling was a Christian. I think oh, I'm told that he was, but I've got no idea whether he was. But that's a word to Christians today. I think it's God's word to us today. Couldn't we say, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church to that? That's God's word to us. But how do we keep our Christian heads when all around seem to have lost theirs? That's the question. How do we remain spiritually stable in spiritually unstable times? And as we saw earlier, that was the danger at Philippi. Let me remind you again, but also for those people who weren't here, uh, the danger in Philippi was that um, they'd they'd gone astray. They'd forgotten what the true gospel was and they were getting carried away by all sorts of other things and the church was becoming confused. And so Paul writes to them to exhort them to remain spiritually stable. And he gives them certain principles on how to do that. And that's what we're looking at over this weekend, these principles. And we looked at the first two, uh, the first principle this, uh, this morning from, from, four verse one, from chapter 4 verse 1, stand firm. That's the first principle. Now, in this session, I'm going to look at two more. Verses 2 and 3, uh, strive for the unity of the church. That's the first thing. And don't deviate from the task of the church. Which I think in this sense, in this um, uh, section here, is talking about mission. So let's have a look at those two things. Firstly, verse 2. To be spiritually stable, strive for unity in the church. Unity was crucial for Paul. Absolutely crucial for the church. In in chapter 3, Paul deals with important doctrinal issues, pursuing holiness, Christ-likeness, the return of our Lord, these massive theological issues. But then he brings up what seems to be a minor disagreement between two women. He even names them. Euodia and Syntyche, he even names them. And you'd think, well, is it that important? For Paul, it was important. Notice he says, agree with each other, in the Lord. That's why it's important. The church, worldwide, and the local church is a living, vibrant community of individuals who each have a unique relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship, they are actually spiritually related to each other. They are brothers and sisters who love Christ and who therefore are called to love one another. And to demonstrate that love in their daily lives together in this unique fellowship of the church. We are to support the weak, the needy, the fallen. We are to encourage those going through difficulties and struggles and trials and grief. We are to meet together to learn of our faith and our lives and help and confess and nurture and forgive in our lives together. This is the New Testament church. In a real sense, we are to depend on each other. I know this myself. 
I need other Christians. I'm one who can sleek off on my own and just do my own thing, but I need other Christians. I rely on their fellowship, their prayer, support and encouragement. And if I haven't had that over the years of ministry, I'd suffer spiritually. And it's exactly the same now. I would suffer spiritually. Christians are not called to and mustn't try to function without one another. John Wesley said, you can't be a Christian in isolation. We are to live in harmony and cultivate that harmony in love for one another and in our lives together. We are to live in unity. And it's not just so that we can be a nice, happy group of people and go on outings together and meet together and go on parish camps together or whatever. It's not just so we can be a happy, nice group. But because this unity and how we live together is a powerful witness to the world. Jesus said that. It's a powerful witness of the love of God in Jesus. And anything that breaks that unity robs the church of its witness to a sinful world. The non-Christian people of Philippi were watching these Christians. They were watching this church. If it fights, if it has bitter divisions and squabbles, they'll think it's no different from any other organisation in society. Oh, these Christians, well, they put on a show of sort of being holy and joy and going to church every Sunday. They pretend to be holy, but really they're just like every other little group in our society, whether it's the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or the City Council. These people are no different. They fight and squabble like everybody else. That's why church unity was crucial to Paul. It was a witness to Christ and a witness to the gospel. And what was causing this disunity in Philippi? Well, you can see we don't know the specifics, but a disagreement between two women was causing factions in the congregation. And Paul has hinted at a division throughout his letter. If you, read, uh, if you read the letter carefully, you'll see that in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, "...conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel." Stand firm in one spirit. So there's obviously some, some difficulties. In chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete by being of one mind, being of one in spirit. There was, there was some grumbling. Chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without complaining. And so he's already hinted at this division. And in these few verses, he focuses on the cause. Two women, Euodia and Syntyche, were arguing over something. And then they spoke to others in the fellowship about it, and that formed factions and division in the, in the congregation. I don't think it was a theological issue. I don't think it was a moral issue. Otherwise, Paul would simply have corrected whatever it was. He'd just have written what was right. And so it was something minor, but which was affecting the work and the witness of the church. Even sadder, the sad thing about this is, these two women were prominent in the church. Paul says, Paul says in verse 3, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So they are hard-working gospel women who love Jesus Christ, who work hard for the gospel, but were selfishly wanting their own way on some issue in the church. And in pride, neither would budge, and then others had got involved, which began to divide the congregation. quite tragic isn't it really very sad but it so often happens in churches today just one or two people in the church family in the congregation don't like the way that something is done or they want to push what they want in the church 
and they begin to pick at things and pick at this issue and that issue and want to push their own stuff and it causes discontent. Not on important theological issues. This is, it's not, not on the resurrection that this thing happens in churches today, in evangelical churches, or, or, the, or the issue that we're facing in the Anglican church today. It's not that kind of issue. This is just on minor things. It was probably about the music. Some of the congregation wanted some old hymns and the other ones wanted... It's probably about the music, I would think. But it was on minor things and often, and often those causing the disharmony in a church today are just like these two women. They love the Lord. They're gifted. They have much to offer the church. They work hard for the church. But over something, they cause disharmony in the fellowship. And how does Paul deal with it? Well, it's very delicate. Both these women, you can read read it carefully, both these women are very dear to him and he treats them with tenderness. And notice, he doesn't command them. He pleads with them. He pleads individually with them. I plead with you, you already. I plead with you, Syndicate. He pleads with them individually. And you can see what the issue for Paul is. He doesn't say, agree for the sake of, agree for the, sake of the church. Or you're upsetting the vicar, or you're upsetting the wardens, or you're putting stress on the wardens. He doesn't say, agree with each other for my sake. No, he says, agree with each other in the Lord. Stop what you're doing because it is crippling the church's witness to Jesus Christ. This is not a question of who is right or wrong. It's too petty for that. No, the witness of Jesus is at stake. That's the issue. These women and others were putting what they want before Christ. It's as simple as that. And so Paul pleads with them to forget their own agenda and remember who they are. They are the church of Jesus. And he's saying, consider this great gospel of Christ. Consider the witness of the, uh, of the church. This is too petty. And stop it. You must focus on Jesus Christ and focus on his agenda, not on what you want. That's what Paul means when he says, be of one mind in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. Focus on him. If you look to yourself and how you want things in the church, there will always be conflict. But if you look at Christ and you focus on Christ, at what he wants, at his aims and his desire for his church, then your relationship will be right with him and therefore it will be right with your brother and sister. If Christ is the focus, if Jesus Christ is the focus, there will be unity. Doesn't, you will still have disagreements, but if Jesus Christ is the focus, there will be unity. If he's not, there won't. You won't be stable. You'll go off in all sorts of directions. I think this is critical and it's going to be critical for the spiritual stability of a church. If I constantly pick at things in the fellowship and sow seeds of unrest, then I'm not focusing on Jesus. And if two or three others in the congregation are doing the same thing, Satan will use that to cripple the church. And he will cripple it quicker than any heresy. That's why this minor incident is so important to Paul. And his attitude is crucial. He doesn't dictate. In other, in other instances, he dictates things. He commands things. Not here. His attitude, he speaks from a pastor's grieving heart over, over disunity. Which is the attitude that he wants the whole church to have when he, sa- when he says, uh, and, and I ask you, lo- loyal yoke fellows, to help these two women. He's beseeching the church. He's saying, please put this right for the Lord's sake. Not for mine, for the Lord's sake. And this should be the spirit 
of any church when divisive issues arise. It should be the attitude, not just of the minister, but all. Not dictating, not laying down rules, but beseeching people in humility because of Jesus Christ. Unity, how we behave towards one another in the church family, is absolutely crucial. It is for you here at Shirley. People, non-Christians, watch Christians. You may not be aware of it. But they watch you individually in your life. Whether it's at home or at work or at school or out socially, you won't be aware of it. But they want to watch how you live your life, how you respond to things, how you act on things and how you act, how you are and think and be. They want to see whether, what you, whether you, you, you practice what you preach. That's what they're looking at. The people in Shirley will watch you as a church. Again, you may not be aware of it, but how you live amongst each other and react to each other is extremely important. If you argue and bicker over nothings, and if you don't show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness towards you, we deny the message that we preach and we dishonour the Lord that we serve. And non-Christians are often put off Christianity by that. Unity in your church, and it's wonderful to see this morning. I've remarked on a few people this morning that the atmosphere is just wonderful. Unity in the church in the future is going to be extremely important for us, for you as a church family. So striving for unity. Secondly, to remain spiritually stable, and this follows on, don't deviate from the task of the church. Paul says in verse 3, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, which in this context, I think he means mission. Jesus' last words to the apostles were, Therefore, go and make disciples. That is the task of the church. If you read the book of Acts, this was Paul and his missionaries' pattern. This is what they did. They, they, they travelled from city to city, city preaching the gospel. They'd begin a church in one place and then they'd teach that church and then on they'd go to the next church. And that church which they left were then left to spread the gospel in that city. That was the pattern. That happened at Philippi. The gospel was preached, a church began and when Paul left, that church were left to reach the people of Philippi for the gospel. That was the task of the church. And it's the task of every church. And St. Stephen's is no different. You have been established as a church in the Shirley area, in the Christchurch area, and are to work to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and into the fellowship of the church. That's your task. And brothers and sisters, especially nowadays, the devil will try to take you away from that task. He will get you going down different tracks. He'll get you arguing about services or about music or we don't like the person up the front or we don't like this bit being done. And what will happen, he'll have one or two people who want to push their own spiritual bandwagon or their own particular ministry which, is, which they want to create. Anything to take you away from what you're really here for which is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And if you deviate from that task, we, as a congregation, you will become spiritually uh, weaker in a sense and you will become unstable. No, it won't be overnight, but it will be gradual. It's extremely important. 
Well, in the midst of all that's going on in your church right now, is that still your task? Is that still the task of this church? Is that still your focus? I pray that it is. And who is involved in this task? Well, look at verse 3. Paul says, Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Who are the evangelists in a church? Is it sort of the, uh, the missionary committee or is it the, the vicar or, or, or those few keen people who are interested in evangelism, good at talking to people? Who are the evangelists? J- just the young people, not the older people? Who are the evangelists? Everybody. Every Christian is a missionary. All those whose names are written in the book of life. That is the picture of the New Testament. Not just special Christians, every Christian. In Acts chapter 8, the church is persecuted and many believers had to leave Jerusalem. And as they went to to other towns, as they went up north particularly, and went to other towns, the gospel spread. But the gospel wasn't spread by the apostles. Many of the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And many of the leaders stayed in Jerusalem. It wasn't spread by the, the apostles or great preachers. It was spread by ordinary Christians as they settled in towns and cities as they went. They lived the Christian life, and when they met people in the marketplace, or the wash house, or the shops, or the meeting houses, they shared the gospel. In fact, the word used in Acts chapter 8 for preaching the gospel isn't the formal word, like I'm doing now, preaching in a formal way. No, you can translate that, pre- where it says preaching in Acts chapter 8, you can, you can translate it loosely as gossip. They gossiped the gospel. They spoke about their faith. They invited people to their Bible studies or their worship services to hear about Jesus Christ. And many were converted. God used their Christian lives in word and deed to bring people to Jesus Christ. Every believer was involved in contending for the gospel mission. So it should be today. Many Christians see their Christian life as simply, you know, sort of, coming to church on Sunday and sort of being good during the week. Well, that's good, but it's not. That's not all. If your name is in the book of life, then you are involved in this great task. Now, we're not all Billy Grahams. We're not all great preaching evangelists. But we are all called to proclaim the gospel. How? Exactly the same as the early Christians. Pray Pray regularly for the non-Christians that you come into contact with. Befriend them. Invite them to coffee or invite them for a meal. Pray for the preaching of God's word every Sunday morning. I'm sure you do. Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing the word. Invite non-Christians. They may not come first that time or second time or third time, but invite them. Pray that God will bring non-Christians to church. Better still, go with them yourself. I don't know whether you realise it, but just being at church every Sunday is helping to preach the gospel. I don't know whether you realise that. Just you being there. One, it's an encouragement to the preacher. Two, it's an encouragement to others in the church. But three, when unchurched people come to a church service, they are surprised if they see lots and lots of believers. They they expect to go to to an Anglican church today and and go inside and it's absolutely dead with about three people in the congregation. That's what they expect to see. But if they come into St. Stephen's on a Sunday and see what's going on here, they'll go, God, there's something going on here. 
There's something about God and it will lead them to, to want more to know about the gospel. So just being at church on a Sunday for me is absolute priority. And this is the task of the church. Mission. And we mustn't deviate from it. It should undergird everything we do. Children's ministry, youth ministry, Bible, every ministry in the church. And so two further principles for remaining spiritually stable. Strive for the unity of the church and mission. The church at Philippi were facing a danger which is seen in many churches today. The church in Philippi was started by Paul with hard work and commitment. It grew into a loving fellowship, helping, listening, learning and growing together in Jesus Christ. They unselfishly gave their lives to Jesus Christ and to each other and they laboured in reaching the lost. It was a wonderful and vibrant church but a selfish spirit had been sown and some minor disagreement created disharmony and bickering and quarrelling and that division distracted their minds and their energies from the true task and it just shows you how very subtle and clever the devil is that's what it shows you and there are many churches today in New Zealand which were once good churches alive and growing churches but who have lost their focus and they are slowly dying and I find it extremely sad. When I go to Synod, I find it extremely sad at some of the reports of churches which are dying. Now, how can you as a church avoid that? Well, notice very carefully what Paul does. He doesn't say, go to the latest seminar for renewal. I'm sure there are some good ones, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, go on a silent retreat. Go and be quiet and seek God, etc., etc., he doesn't say, go and get the latest book. There's a wonderful book out from, not America, Greenland. There's a wonderful book out from Greenland on spirituality. Go and, go and get that book. Or, or like we do in the Anglican Church, or, or we'll form a committee. We'll do a report and then we'll, we'll send it to the vestry and then we'll take it to the synod. No, he doesn't do any of those things. At the end of verse 3, Paul simply reminds them of who they are. That's what he does. They are people whose names are written in the book of life. They are fellow workers. They are a family for the gospel. Working together for one common purpose. For one Lord. They work for the Lord and not for self. And that's what we must remember. We are people whose names are written in the book of life. And if we remember this, if we remember that, and why our name is written in the book of life. Because Jesus died for me. And if we remember who we are and why, then pride and a selfish spirit should be put aside. Do you remember in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, when the disciples returned from their missionary journey? Do you know what I'm talking about? They rejoiced. The disciples rejoiced at all they'd done. They boasted to Jesus. They said, even, even, the, uh, even the evil spirits bow to us, Lord. Even they do that. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, don't rejoice in those things. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what he says. And that's what we must remember. I think as Christians, we forget the privilege of who we are. We forget. But we must remember it. 
to be recorded in this book is the greatest privilege in life and your name's in it and that's what Paul is what God wants us to remember and live in the light of it that's what he wants and then we can remain spiritually stable let me pray let me leave a moment just for our Lord to speak to each one of us and us as a church oh loving Father we often forget our greatest privilege that you've given us life you've written our names in the book of life and we thank you for that Father we pray that we would live in the light of that Help us to return once again to the basics of what you have brought us to believe, that you love us and you care for us. And we pray that you would strengthen us in the coming months and the coming years ahead. Strengthen this church, I pray. Help, help each one of them to strive for the unity of the church. And as a church, as a church family, may they be focused on reaching people for the gospel and growing together as a church family. To know you and to love you more and serve you more. And we pray all these things that the one who walked the lonely, lonely road of Calvary for us will be honoured and glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.